The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. This is Rainmaker FM, the digital marketing podcast network. It's built on the Rainmaker platform, which empowers you to build your own digital marketing and sales platform. Start your free 14-day trial at rainmakerplatform.com. These are the Writer Files, a tour of the habits, habitats, and brains of working writers, from online content creators to fictionists, journalists, entrepreneurs, and beyond. I'm your host, Cal Reed, writer, podcaster, and mediophile. And each week, we'll discover how great writers keep the ink flowing, the cursor moving, and avoid writer's block. International best-selling author and critically acclaimed screenwriter of Room, Emma Donahue, talked with me recently about her writing process and adapting her best-known work into an award-winning movie. In addition to writing for the screen, stage, and radio over her prolific career, the multi-genre author has had her popular fiction translated into over 40 languages. Her 2010 novel, Room, was shortlisted for the Man Booker Prize and also won a New York Times Book of the Year award, among many others. The film adaptation of the book has been nominated for three Golden Globes, including Best Screenplay, for Ms. Donahue's stunning first full-length script. The film itself boasts 31 international award wins and 65 nominations as of this writing, including nods from the Critics' Choice Awards, Screen Actors Guild, Independent Spirit Awards, and the Toronto International Film Festival. Join us for this two-part interview. And if you missed the first half, you can find it on writerfiles.fm and in the show notes. In part two of the file, Emma Donahue and I discuss why setting constraints can help your writing, how writing for yourself is the key to success, why a great screenwriter can't recall any movie quotes, and how planning is the rope that guides your writing through the wilderness. I'd like to dig into your creativity a little bit. And one of the things that struck me about Room especially was the amount of ingenuity um, that, the, that the characters, especially Ma, um, express in kind of their constraints. So I, I feel like creativity is something that maybe comes naturally to you, but do you have a definition of creativity? No, I can't think of a definition of it. The funny thing about Room is that people sometimes assume that I'm a wonderful mother because clearly I know the theory of how to be a wonderful mother as shown in that book. <laughs> and, you know, writers are often notoriously bad parents because we're great at writing parental love on the page. But, 
in, in day-to-day life, we often would bother be writing our books. Um, so, so no, I'm not the superb creative mother, um, like in room, for instance, doing crafts with my kids. Um, I used to think that would be great. And, uh, you know, when it, when it came to it, um, I found I just hated it. It's maximum mess. And, you know, it only lasts about three minutes and then they walk away smearing paint on the light switch. So, um, so no, I'm so not ma. But the great thing about writing room was that I knew exactly what objects were in that room. So it was a totally controlled universe. Mm. And it's like the way they, they used to talk about the, 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 the unities for 17th century drama. They talked about the unity of time, space, and action. So basically setting your book over just a couple of weeks in a locked shed um, and having only two people live in there, it's, it's a classic example of how limitations actually set you free. Mm. Because once I knew every single object in there, I'd be able to think, oh, okay, let's see what she's got. She's got eggshells. Well, instead of throwing them away, they're going to blow the eggs and string them together and make a big egg snake. So in a way, the, the creative ideas um, that came up um, grew out of the fact that I knew every object in there and I knew every experience Jack had had. So he was really way easier to write than some, you know, 90-year-old looking back at his life on several continents. You know, mm-hmm. limits are actually very freeing. Absolutely. Not for captives, obviously, just for writers. Correct. Well, uh, there was something that struck me about th- that constraint and your uh, experience as a dramatist um, in that it seems the perfect setting for a stage play. Well, actually, um, I am involved in the early stages of development of a theatre production of rooms. So, yeah, I think it offers something very obvious to theatre. And I think the nice thing is that films are very naturalistic, you know. So, you know, they get everything from the FBI's badge right right through mm. to, you know, mm-hmm. um, the cars and so on. But theatre is a different kind of realism. It doesn't worry so much about the, the externals of things. It concentrates on just the spark that's happening between people. So I think that um, if, if the play of Room does come together, I think it'll offer a wonderfully different, a wonderfully different take on the same story. Absolutely. That will be fantastic, and we'll look forward to that as well. But do you do you feel like you have a, a creative muse right now or in general? I would say that history has been the, the most consistently inspiring thing for me, and history in a particularly um, revisionist way, meaning all the little anecdotes that got left out. You know, I've done a lot of writing about long-forgotten nobodies, and... Um, you know, slaves in Britain, uh, prostitutes I've written about several times, and um, just, you know, oddities and um, people exhibited at fairs, you know, uh, a woman who was paralyzed and in a wheelchair in 1820s in Norfolk, and she made it her mission to save drowning sailors by by purchasing a sort of giant catapult, which would, would, would hurl a, a life, a life uh, ring out to them. So, you know, really odd, long dead people, they've collectively been my most inspiring source. <laughs> well, do, do you have a feeling of kind of what makes a writer great in your mind? I think being indifferent to the market is crucial. And, and that sounds kind of snobby because I know if, if you can't afford to buy bread that week, you can't be entirely indifferent. But <laughs> you should only care about the money you know, just enough. It, should, it, could be, it can be a helpful stimulus to get you writing. But once you are a, an established novelist, the last thing you should be doing is sitting there thinking, why have I not been nominated for that prize? Or, you know, what's my Amazon ranking? You know, because if you try and chase commercial success, you're very unlikely to write the kind of, um, you know, startling hit um, that, that does get 
commercial success because you will only ever be aping what has been successful for the last few years. You know, like there's no point writing a young adult novel about vampires now. So I think originality can only be done by ignoring your anxieties about pleasing the market and writing entirely for yourself. And then, you know, perversely enough, that does sometimes lead to commercial success. Absolutely. Do you have a couple of favorite authors right now that maybe that you have on the nightstand or in the Kindle? Oh, yes. Um, let me see. I'm eagerly looking forward to the latest Jane Smiley. Um, what else have I got? It's funny, you know, what's, what's, what's jumping to mind is David Foster Wallace because um, mm. on, on the plane um, I, I had to take a sensible nap so I didn't get to watch the end of the, end of the tour, but I'm looking forward to that one. Um, who else at the moment... You know, the poetry I always go back to is Emily Dickinson. She'd be my favorite for poetry. Mm. And I like, to, I like to read some popular science as well, you know, to take some area I know nothing about, like economics or geology or something. Mm. And, and um, read a, you know, a fairly accessible, you know, the kind of book they sell at the airport about these subjects. <laughs> Not too demanding, but, you know, to somebody who didn't study science to a great degree, um, that stuff can blow your mind. <laughs> Well, in all of your work and all of your travels, have you come across a, uh, a best love quote you can share with us? You know, I have almost no memory for quotes at all. No, I'm drawing, drawing a complete blank. I had a really embarrassing experience recently. I was on a, a round table with other screenwriters and uh, they were a very prestigious crew. You know, Aaron Sorkin was one of them, for instance. And I was so intimidated that when, I, when we were all asked to give a single quote from a film, I couldn't think of any. <laughs> I came across like somebody who'd never been to the movies before. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good story. Especially with Aaron Sorkin sitting to your left. I know. In fact, I, you know, for the whole first 10 minutes, I couldn't say a thing. I was so afraid to disagree with him. <laughs> oh my, that's good stuff. Well, I got a couple of fun ones for you. Are you a paper or an ebook uh, lover? I much prefer paper. Um, now, this year, because we're away from home for a year, based in France, I'm really trying to read more on my on my phone. I don't have a dedicated e-reading device that I've been trying to read on my phone so that I don't need to, you know, buy and stockpile so many books because last time we went and lived abroad for a year, we, brought, we shipped 11 boxes of books home at the end. And I, I know we've got room back on our bookshelf. So I, I've been trying e-reading, but I will never like it as, as much. Um, <laughs> I do this. It's not that I want to make a cult of, of the tactile experience of the paper, but um you know, machines for me are things you work on. So when I'm on my laptop, I want to be working. So it feels really odd to be trying to relax with the machine, you know, whereas a paperback to me is that perfect, you know, light, easy to travel with, um, no electricity. It's yeah. the perfect companion. So uh, do you have a favorite literary character of all time? Oh, it's hard to choose. Um, you know, I, last year I, I reread all of Dickens, who's my favorite novelist. And... Mm. Uh, for instance, um, Pip in Great Expectations, he, he'd be up there. He'd be one of my, my top favorites. He's so often humiliated, embarrassed, awkward, getting it wrong. But he's, a, he's a very likable character. <laughs> okay, so if you could choose an author from any era, just for an all-expense-paid dinner to your favorite spot, who would you pick and where would you go? Oh, where would we go as well? Um, I'm thinking Shakespeare. I just feel he would have the right balance of, you know, he'd have quite a, a meaty analysis of politics and he would have some very colorful turns of phrase and a bit of body humor as well. 
Uh, and I can take him with me through history, yes? <laughs> you can take um, him wherever you want. Right, let me see. Then we're going to go to... I think we're going to go to a, a, a you know, South Sea island, perhaps, and have some kind of amazing feast served on the beach. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Uh, do you have any writer's fetishes? It sounds like you're not a fetishist other than the, the, uh, the collection of vast collection of, uh, paper books that you have. Do you have any other, uh, fetishes or collections? No, no, I really don't. In fact, even as I get older, I, I feel like buying things less and less, you know? Mm. Um, no, I would say the only thing I collect obsessively is little, um, obscure bits of history. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's cool. And, you know, I come across some great ones that, that I think, oh, I'd love to write about that, but, you know, I'll never find out quite enough or else somebody else has done it. You know, twice somebody has, has written about a story before I could get to it and I was quite embittering. Um, <laughs> or sometimes, you know, it's a great story, but it's just too depressing. So, you know, some of them will always have a feel of the one that got away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So do you have any advice for your fellow scribes on how to keep the ink flowing and the cursor moving? Well, it might seem perverse, but I would really emphasize planning. Uh, planning is not just sensible. It actually is, you know, it's, it's the rope that guides you through the wilderness. Um, so many young writers in particular, they get about a third of the way into a novel and then they get stuck and they abandon it. So I've quite often met young writers who say like, oh yeah, I've got three or four novels that I started. So I think, I think planning, which you really don't have to do for a poem or a short story, I think for something longer like a screenplay or a novel, I think planning is actually hugely helpful. And it lets you make a lot of your mistakes just at the planning level so they don't take up months of your life. You know, sometimes when you've, you've laid out coldly what's going to happen in a book, sometimes it becomes blindingly obvious that, you know, two-thirds of it doesn't need to happen. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, uh, I will uh, encourage writers to uh, find your writing out there, especially um, the novel Room, before they see the movie, if possible, because it is uh, a truly compelling, um, captivating read. It's a deeply affecting movie as well. Uh, my wife and I both came out just, uh, you know, with that kind of catharsis, but I won't spoil it, uh, of course, but, uh, it's fantastic work. And, 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 uh, congratulations on all of your successes. I am sure that we will be seeing your name more and more out there in, uh, the press because, uh, the movie itself is just seems like a runaway train right now. Oh, I, I can't believe my luck with this one. Congratulations to you. Where can fellow scribes connect with you out there? I know uh, emmadonahue.com. I'm on, I'm on Twitter at edonahuewriter, and I have a Facebook fan page as well, and um, my website, emmadonahue.com. Very nice. Thanks for taking time out of your uh, busy uh, schedule. And my final question to you is, have your kids seen the movie? Um, I showed it to them on a web link, skipping all the scenes that they said they found scary. I mean, I, I told them in advance what was going to happen in each scene, because what kids find scary is not necessarily the same as what adults do. But yes, they have. And they were each kind of whooping with excitement when they recognized a bit that they had inspired. You know, yeah. it was a very ego-driven watching of it. Yes, yes, yes. Well, uh, break a leg. And um, we will certainly be seeing you around Oscar time. I'm certain of it. Also, uh, I will link to Kim Masters episode on the business, which has a fantastic interview uh, with you and the director of the movie room, uh, Lenny Abramson, uh, which kind of gives a little bit more backstory of how that all came about. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule and best of luck. My pleasure, Kelton. Bye bye. Thanks so much for joining me for this half of a tour through the writer's process. If you enjoy the writer files podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review on iTunes to help other writers find us. For more episodes or to just leave a comment or a question, you can drop by writerfiles.fm and you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.